Awesome. Uh, as you can tell from the intro video, we're continuing the series called The Church I See. It's been a, uh, it, it is a seven-week vision series as we dream about where God is leading and calling Sun West uh, to go. And the title of the talk this morning is uh, Legacy is Greater Than Luxury. Okay, so legacy, legacy is greater than luxury. And we just commissioned a whole bunch of people that were going to Mexico. And when you go to Mexico, you, you pile into these 15-passenger vans. And day one, the van smells okay. Uh, by day three, it smells really, really, really bad. And you start to smell foot odor, and especially on the way back. Don't, don't even get me started on the way back. And then you got like fast food garbage that's like lingering around. You know, those McDonald's cheeseburgers, they might smell okay that first hour, but after that, they smell terrible. And the all-girls van, you think it would smell like flowers? It doesn't. It smells awful. Uh, I think the girls just feel more freedom to let her fly when, uh, when they're by themselves. And, and so you pay $1,500... You pile into these vans, it's uncomfortable, you drive two and a half days there and you take three days to come back, and you work harder than you've ever worked in your life, and you gave up your spring break. Why would you do that? Why? Because it's fun? That's a part of it. I think that's a part of it. I know that's usually the first time people go, it sounds like fun, my friends are going. And often when you get down there, you realize that you are participating in something that is bigger than yourself. That there's, there's a longing in our hearts to do something that is beyond ourselves, to build something that will last, to build something that you don't benefit from, but that's going to benefit somebody else for generations to come. Because I believe inherently in every human being that we have a desire for legacy that is greater than our desire for luxury. And sometimes we get tempted by luxury just to, you know, you could stay home, spring break, Veg on the couch, eat junk food, watch March Madness. That's what I'll be doing. Uh, have fun in Mexico. I'll be watching basketball. But honestly, I wish I was down there with you. Because even though we, we can choose luxury, there's, I think there's something inherently uh, a part of us as human beings that longs to, to leave a legacy, that longs to leave something behind that is greater than ourselves, that will bless people beyond ourselves. And so this morning, as we look at Legacy, and we've been talking a lot about discipleship, and I, b I believe that, that God is calling his church back to the heart of discipleship, which we can find in the, uh, what we refer to, refer to as the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the great commission, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. And so really this whole series is about those two things, about making those things central to who we are as a church and what that might mean uh, contextually or practically as we move our way forward. And I thought this morning, since we have talked a lot about discipleship, we would go to the beginning of the Gospels where Jesus calls disciples to follow him. And so we find this in Matthew chapter 4, and it says this, that one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving behind the boat. 
So fascinating passage because it just seems kind of odd that Jesus would walk up to these guys that they're, you know, they're fishing and they would just drop everything and follow Jesus. What is going on in this context? Well, see, Jesus was a Jewish man living in a Jewish region. Uh, he was living his life in the Jewish religion. And in that Jewish world, Torah was everything. And what is Torah? Torah, if, if you were to open a Bible right now, it would be the first five books of your Bible. And so to them, they believed that God had met Moses very significantly in their history on Mount Sinai and that God had given his word to them, uh, which you can find in the first five books of your Bible, the Torah. And so their whole life evolved around Torah. So they went to school, they studied Torah. You know, we go to school and we learn, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, and everything that they learned was around Torah. So they studied it, they memorized it, and they would usually enter uh, this first stage of school, stool, not stool, first <laughs> stage of school called Beth, Bet Sefer. Can you guys say Bet Sefer with me? So when they're about six years old, so roughly the age of a kindergarten, grade one or now, they would enter school Bet Sefer. And so when they got to school, they would study it, they would memorize it, and remember, there wasn't printing press back then. It wouldn't be invented until about 1,400 years later. And so they would try and get the context of Torah into their heart, into their mind. And so they would go through those first few years of school, grade six years old to around grade 10 or age 10, age 11. And it became pretty clear at the end of that time who was gifted enough to continue in the Jewish schooling system. If you weren't good enough, you would go to the family business. You know, so maybe uh, your parents, uh, you know, they, they worked with stone or they were carpenters, and so you would go and learn that business. But those who were the best of the best, they was, those who were good enough, would continue on in the schooling system, and uh, they would go to the next level called Bet Midrash. Can you say that? Nowadays, people don't want a Midrash. Uh, back then, they wanted it. So... We go to the doctor now if we get a midrash, but back then midrash represented the schooling system at the second level, the best of the best would go to. So around grade age 11, age 12, to about 15, you would go to this next level of school. So uh, what they would begin to study at the second level of school is the, uh, is the Tanakh, which was the rest of your Old Testament. So Genesis, all the way to Malachi, so roughly about that, okay, they would begin to focus their entire studies on this. So the best of the best in, the, in Beth Sefer would actually uh, memorize the entire Torah. First five books of your Bible, 187 chapters. The best of the best in the second level in Midrash would have the entire Old Testament memorized. Because remember, for them, Torah was absolutely everything. And so again, if, if they weren't able to kind of keep up with the best of the best, there was a select few students that would kind of live up to the standard to move on from Midrash, and then they would go to Bet Talmud. Can you say Bet Talmud? So this was this level of schooling that wasn't just about sitting in the classroom anymore. It was about learning to live a certain way. And so when you're about 15 years old, you would 
If you were good enough, you would, you would actually apply to be a disciple of a rabbi. Talmud means disciple. And so if you were a disciple of a rabbi, you would follow that rabbi around. And there was this phrase that, that they used uh, about being in the dust of your rabbi, which just describes how close you were following your rabbi, that he would even kick up his own dust in them. So you would try and emulate everything they did in their life the way they treated their family, their kids, the way they understood the Torah and the, and the Tanakh, and, and you would try and emulate everything about them. They would even go to the bathroom. If the rabbi went to the bathroom, they would go to the bathroom because they actually wanted to be exactly like the rabbi in every way. So if the rabbi folded the toilet paper or scrunched it, that's what they would emulate. That's the level of discipleship we're talking about, this being a replication of the one you're following. And so this is they would do this for even 15 years, 15 to 30 years old. And when they were 30 years old, if they, if they were good enough, if they kind of had it in them, the rabbi would say, I think you are ready to make your own disciples. And then they would take on students. And so at this point, a disciple is not just about what, learning what the teacher knows. It's, it's someone who wants to be exactly what the teacher is, exactly what the rabbi is. So when we look at the ministry of Jesus, Jesus is 30 years old, and he's walking around and he's saying, come follow me. And we know in the ministry of Jesus that, that he had a, a large group of about 500 or so that kind of, kind of a bigger crowd that followed him, and then there was another kind of closer group of about 70, and then there was a, this intimate, unique group of 12 that would follow him, and that group were disciples. They would follow him everywhere. And so Jesus comes and he says, come follow me. And what he's saying in that situation is, I believe that you have what it takes to follow me. And remember, when he came to, the, when he came to Peter and Andrew, James and John, they were fishing. Why were they fishing? Because they weren't good enough. Because at some point in their schooling system, they didn't make the cut. And so Jesus comes to this B team, these not good enoughs, and he says, I believe that you have what it takes to follow me. I believe that you can emulate how I live. And obviously this is a chance in a lifetime. These guys didn't think that they were good enough to, to ever follow a rabbi, to emulate a rabbi, and so they drop their nets. They leave the fishing business, the family business, and take up the opportunity to follow this rabbi named Jesus. And also remember that these disciples, because of the schooling system, they, at this point, um, we know that they were anywhere from 13 years old to about 20 years old. So Jesus was essentially running a youth and young adults program of 13 to 20-year-olds. He had a plan. God with flesh on and Jesus had this plan that he was going to create disciples with young people, 13 to 20-year-old young people that were B-team people that weren't good enough to make the cut, and he, he said, I could change the world with this group of people. I could change the world with these B-list young people. And so you can kind of see this thinking actually throughout the Gospels, and, and you probably know the story of Peter walking on water, and Peter's trying to emulate his rabbi. And so Peter gets out of the boat, takes a risk, let's go of the boat, because Jesus is out there walking on the water, and if Jesus can do it and I'm a disciple of Jesus, then I can walk on the water like Jesus is. And then we know that 
when, when Peter was looking at Jesus, he was okay. He was on the water. He was walking. But when, Jesus, when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. And what does Jesus say to him at that moment? Why do you have so little faith? What's Jesus referring to? Why do you have so little faith in me? Possibly. But Jesus is okay. Jesus is on the water. There's an aspect, I think, of what Jesus is asking there is like, why do you have so little faith that you can actually do what I do? Why do you have so little faith that you can emulate me? Because remember, I called you to be like me, and I believe you can do it. So do you believe in yourself the way I believe in you? And at SunWest, I believe that God is calling us to not just do things that are comfortable, but do things that are uncomfortable because he's calling us to create a legacy. And Jesus left his comfortable place in heaven to take on flesh. And I'm assuming he felt like smashing his head against a rock multiple times when he was trying to prepare these young B-list people to take over the world. But that discomfort was worth it for him because that's the way he wanted to do it. And I don't believe that God has changed the strategy since then. And so we got a couple of individuals here on staff that are working with the next generation every week, every day. And I want to invite them onto stage for a second because I got a few questions for them. And so uh, Colton, our youth pastor, and uh, Kendall, who's leading our children's, they're going to come on stage right now. You can give them a hand. Coming to, the, coming to the light. I don't know if it's coincidence that he calls us up right after he's talking about the B list, not good enough. And then he's like, oh, we'll bring these guys up. Um, hey, I feel you, good. You and I yeah. both, buddy. You and I both. <laughs> B team right here. Um, so, yeah, Kendall's going to start. Awesome. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, look at that. Just throw her yep. right under perfect. the bus there. Um, so I love these two. These two are spending... Uh, lots of time thinking about how do we equip and release young people, whether they're children, whether they're junior high, whether they're high school kids, to believe in themselves, to be all that God's called them to be. And, and we want to have an intergenerationally rich uh, ministry here at SunWest. And uh, I'm going to come back to that in a broader sense at the end of the message. But right now, I invited Colton and Kendall to come up to speak specifically to uh, their vision of what they're seeing in the future for their specific ministry areas, and particularly how, it, how the potential uh, building and facility that we're looking at impacts that ministry. And so on Monday night, I'm going to mention it right now, t- tomorrow night, uh, there is a, uh, an informational meeting uh, based on the logistics, the pragmatics around the building purchase at Connections Church. Uh, and so that's at 7 o'clock. There is childcare provided. And, uh, and so... I'm sorry if you had other plans. I know it's a little bit last minute, uh, but we wanted to get information into the hands of, uh, of you guys as quickly as we could uh, because there will be a, a vote at some point shortly after the Mexico trip. And so the sooner we can get that information out to you, the better. So, uh, but in light of that and in light of intergenerational impact and ministry, uh, what do you see? So when we talk about the church I see, what do you see kind of down the road um, and the impact of this in children's ministry? 
So the first thing that excites me about the potential of having a building is having a place where children are actually meant to be. Uh, we do our best with the theater, but the reality is the floor of a theater is just not that. Um, and so I think that our children's ministry has a huge opportunity to flourish when it's actually a place where they know they're meant to be. I think that says a lot that we're here, we are meant to be here, we've set this up for you, and we are permanent here for you, and this is a place for you specifically. I think that's really significant. Um, also, just for me personally, it excites me in that I load up my car <laughs> and unload it so much, and everything that I do filters in, can I fit it in my car? How many loads am I going to have to do? Like, it's just, it's really limiting, so it excites me to be able to do more and be way more creative for the kids in that. And that's just, like, basic Sunday morning, what we're already doing. I could talk a lot. I'll try. Okay. Yep. Um, but beyond that, I, I, I think... I said, give me a two-minute two, elevator pitch. It's be yeah, more than yeah, two yeah, you're, you're doing okay. Um, beyond that, of things that we don't already do, I think there's huge opportunity for moms and tots, for moms already in our congregation, but also just in the community. There are often women who are at home by themselves that we can have a place for them to come with their babies that I think is a really sweet opportunity that we could look into. And then specifically, uh, I ran something similar when I worked at a church in Lethbridge with Southern Alberta Bible Camp, and I pitched this idea to Evergreen just as like a tentative idea so and they're camp, like camp evergreen which is in sundry sundry which is a camp that we sponsor we're associated and support. with yep. yes so i'm moving the yep, camps no, it's, it's good. um i pitched this like tentative idea and they're 100 percent on board which is really cool of pd day camps so that means that on days that kids don't have school we can run day camps that's basically like a day of summer camp but at the location at our church building it would be where we can do really awesome things evergreen will bring in some of their awesome staff and their awesome activities and Parents bring their kids to it essentially because it's cheap childcare. So we're meeting this really easy need for them. It's a really easy way for us to do that. But also then we get to tell them about Jesus. So it's like a really cool win-win situation for camp, for parents, for us. It's just a really sweet opportunity that I look forward and to. That, hopefully. And that's about 10 days a year, right? Uh, I would first year probably four to five. Four to five, and we'll okay. Work it up from there. But, <laughs> Realistically. But, but, is that, but, it, but that's how many. Yeah, PD days I would are say, yeah, kind of throughout the year. Yeah. You know, all those days you're like, what do I do with my child on this day? They're out of school. So. Neat way for us to just engage in the community and get to know yeah. families. And parents love it. It Very was really awesome. sweet when I did it in Lethbridge. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And uh, Kendall drives a Jetta, so she can't really fit <laughs> a ton in there, you know? So it's, the, it's limited to what she can fit in a Jetta. So uh, with youth, and we're talking about the facility, it's something that gets me really excited. When Angel and I, so my wife and I, when we first moved here, we were renting, and we actually lived in the north. We lived in varsity, so we didn't actually live anywhere close, but that was basically what we could afford and what we could find at the time. But in our hearts, we were always like, we want to we be in this community. Uh, we want to purchase, we want to be in this community, and after two years, we actually purchased uh, a house in the south, in Legacy, uh, and a few things happened uh, when we did that. Number one, um, our ministry availability grew, because now we were with the people, we were always, yeah, we were with the people that this is our community, these are our people, um, so that helped people who were in our homes more often, that it was something that actually helped our ministry, and then number two, people's mindsets changed. Uh, when they realized, hey, they're no longer renting, uh, but they're permanent, that they bought, that they're staying. Um, so I see this as an awesome opportunity that we can do with, with a facility, um, that we're no longer renting, but we are here to stay in the community. Uh, and that's what gets me really excited. Uh, for a while, we were talking about a facility and where, like, anyways, where this facility would be. Ever since I've been on staff, we've been talking about how are we going to purchase something. And we've talked about all different options, the farm being one of them and a few other places, and every single one of them just didn't feel right. 
it didn't sit right because I was like, that isn't the community that we're that we are supposed to be in. Um, but then when this this Mindapur thing came up, I was like, that's it. This is our community. This is the place where I want to be permanent. And that's for a few reasons, um, that there are so many schools that are so close. Right across the street, we have Trinity Christian School. Right down the road, we have Synth. And then just a little bit down that road, we have Midsun. That this is where our people are, and it is a place where people could walk to youth. Uh, And it will be a facility that will finally be big enough to host everybody. Uh, that we've been struggling. I don't know if you've ever been in that office when you have like 60 people in there. It gets really hot and stuffy and limited, but we'll have a space to do that, which gets me extremely excited. But it's not just for the youth coming to us, but what can we do to actually be part of this community? With, with so many schools by, I get all these ideas of, of a drop-in center where youth can come, hang out, do homework, um, also possibly tutoring, come in and be tutored, or even music lessons and what that all can look like. Um, just to partner with the schools, partner with uh, the community that how can we actually, yeah, just jump in and uh, bless one another. So that's what gets me really excited. Awesome. Let's give Colton and Kendall a hand. Thanks, guys. I love those two. They're doing such good work with our kids and our youth. And uh, if you don't encourage them, uh, please take the time to do so. Uh, They're doing doing good work. and I wanted to get their perspective on just how they, they kind of see this potential uh, facility option as a, as a benefit to the vision and how they kind of see these ministries working. Uh, and they're getting excited and they're dreaming as well. And I thought it was important to hear from them, not just from me. Uh, but at the heart of who SunWest is, we've always been a church that wants to be about legacy. Always wanted to be a church that, that, that is about equipping and releasing a next generation of leaders And so when I look at the story of Jesus calling his disciples, there's something that resonates so deeply with me on that, that we are looking for people that maybe didn't make the cut in our world. We're looking for, we're looking for people that are maybe younger or not quite ready in the eyes of some to take on levels of leadership and responsibility, and we're calling them out. We're calling them up. And I was just curious as I was thinking about this, I, I was wondering, you know, what, uh, what, what is the average age of people serving in different areas at SunWest? And so just did a little bit of quick math this last week. And, and if you're in worship tech ministry, the average age is 31 years old. Uh, children's and youth ministry, 26. Then set up and tear down, 46. We got some, we got some people that have been doing set up and tear down for 20 years. Yeah. Hospitality. So when you come in, the greeters, the coffee, the welcome center, average age, 56. Care ministry, <laughs> 48. Small group leaders, 49. And the reason I wanted to look at this chart was I was just curious, are we, we want to be a church about a legacy. We want to be a church that's equipping and releasing the next generation of leaders. Um, how is that going? And we've done it in worship and tech. 
Uh, children's and youth, often we have senior highs serving in junior highs. We have uh, young adults serving in our youth ministry, which is awesome. Uh, but it's clear that we don't have older adults serving in intentional mentoring relationships in terms of those programs, uh, a ton of them in those programs. We've got set, set up, tear down, hospitality, care ministry, small group leaders, uh, and those are just a few of the sample ministries. There's others, but this gives us a bit of a picture. A lot of the, you know, the heavy lifting, the backbone stuff that's going on at SunWest, it's mostly 40, 50-year-olds doing that. And, you know, when I look at set-up and tear-down teams, I'll tell you, I'm sure they'd like to see those numbers flipped. They'd love to see some young people with some good backs on set-up and tear-down. Amen. Amen. <laughs> but I think the picture tells us something. I think the picture tells us that you know, there's a few select areas where young people feel like they can serve, and that's been modeled for them that they can serve there. Uh, but there's a whole other area of church responsibility, and I didn't even get into like leadership roles and you know ministry teams and leadership teams and and other things. But they they would be obviously on the older spectrum as well. And so we kind of got the majority of church stuff that you know our adults are like, this is our stuff. And then there's a couple of things that the young people can kind of lead and serve in. And and I'm not pointing the fingers at anybody because I think there's, there's a responsibility of every generation to, to kind of take ownership and ask what the role is in this time, what God's calling them to. But I think it's worth looking at, and I think it's, it's an interesting picture that we have here. In 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, it says, Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be a what? An example to Who? all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, in your purity. You know, I led the, uh, the student ministry for years here, and we had a, you know, a core group or leadership group, and this was our theme verse, 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, in your purity. And there's, there's nothing that bring, brings me greater joy than seeing young people feeling the call of God on their lives and, and given the opportunity to be trained and to mentor and to be set up in places of leadership. And I even think of this morning, you know, having Dalen and Jamie lead us in worship. That was awesome, right? They did a great job. But I, you, we see them with the lights on on a Sunday morning, but what you don't see from Dalen and Jamie uh, and other young leaders... Uh, you know, we have uh, Nate and Sid who, who are, what, 21? You guys 21? Are you guys here? 22? Okay, make sure. They just got married, uh, 22 years old, and they just took over our prayer ministry, uh, leading our prayer teams, leading almost everybody on those teams is older than they are. And I want to tell you something about these young people is that for years they have willingly and humbly submitted and served those who are older. And, and I want to talk to the young people here for a second because there's, there's a little bit of this, this, this idea that, you know, serving and leading, you know, getting an opportunity to lead, like this should be easy. Uh, and I think it should be easier. I think we've often made it tougher. Uh, but I want to commend some of our young leaders that they have actually just 
submitted and honored the generation before them. And what, what has happened over time is these young people have built up a rapport and a trust in our church that older people are willing to follow them, which is awesome. And so I think that's commendable, and I want to thank them for sticking with it and, and to leading us. But I also want to commend the older generation. I wasn't quite sure what to use for lingo, like older, younger. Uh, it's all... I don't want to offend anybody this morning. Um, the more experienced generation... Because it is, it is difficult to be led by those that are younger than you. It is. When you've done something before, maybe you've been around church longer, maybe you've been at SunWest longer, and that's not the way I would have done it, that's not the way we used to do it, uh, to actually humbly get to a place where I, I see the call of God on your life and I'm willing to leave space for you to lead here and to be a person of influence here. I want to commend you, SunWest, for doing that. I got another young person, I'm going to use an example. He sent me a video this week. He's like, Matt, I want to update SunWest on what's going on in my life. And I said, yeah, awesome, send a video. And so uh, this guy's name is Blake. Uh, and not to be convinced with his brother Jordan, who found out that Blake sent a video. And he's like, I'm sending a video too. I'm like, okay, you send it on down. Uh, but here's a message from Blake. Hey, SunWest, uh, it's Blake. Um, Blake Prokopetz. I don't know if, uh, if all of you know, but I'm, uh, I, I got sent out, commissioned by, uh, by my church, by, by you guys, it's about six months ago, um, to come to Perth, Australia, to staff a discipleship training school, uh, to disciple young people my age and uh, older as well, people just starting off their walks with the Lord, and people that are uh, gone uh, for a bit already. Um, and, and now uh, we, had, we had three months in Perth, and then uh, three months in uh, Cambodia, and then Nepal, and I'm, I'm back in, in Perth now. Uh, me and uh, a fellow leader, Holly, we led the team. Um, it was incredible. We saw God move in amazing ways. Um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to have a little update. I'm sorry for not updating you more, um, but I want to continuously update you on, on things that are happening uh, with, my, with my mission and what's happening in the, out in the nations like Cambodia and Nepal and uh, here in Perth as well because uh, now I'll be doing ministry here in Perth and reaching out to the people here. Um, and I just want to thank everybody, uh, all of you, for supporting me financially and uh, with prayers as well and uh, with, even with, uh, with thoughts and <laughs> if, you're, if you're not praying or sending money. Um, and I just want to say, yeah, God bless you. And I'm just so thankful that I have uh, church um, like you, um, just the body of Christ back home, um, who supports me, who loves me, and who loves Jesus as well. Um, yeah, love you guys so much, and uh, I'm going to continuously try to update you maybe once a month, just with my mission, and uh, with what God has put on my heart for the next, uh, the next two years of my life. So yeah, God bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I love that. I love that. And um, what I think is awesome is how, you know, a ministry like YOM uh, takes actual ministry responsibility. Uh, you know, you're going into uh, sometimes closed countries, third world countries, and they have a group of 19-year-olds and 20-year-olds, and they say, here you go. Wow. And so I have a question for us, church. We're sending 
are young people all over the world, and they take responsibility and leadership, and, and Jesus is showing up in their lives in powerful ways. And sorry, when I say a question for your church, I want you to know I'm asking this question to myself. They come back here, and are we expecting them to let go of that responsibility and just sit down on a Sunday? Or are we inviting them back into a faith community that says, we want to continue to equip and release you because we see God's hand on your life? And I'll tell you what, it's not even about young people and older people, sorry, or more experienced people. It's about discipleship. Uh, and if we go back, and I won't spend time on this because we've done it a few weeks ago, and I know some of you that weren't here won't have context for it. Um, but if we go back to this discipleship growth chart that, you know, how Scripture used physical metaphor to describe spiritual growth, that when we become a spiritually mature disciple of Jesus, uh, we become a parent, which means we're able to reproduce ourselves. We're able to make disciples who make disciples. And here's the fascinating thing is that you can be 15 or you can be 70 and you can be a parent. It doesn't matter your physical age. You are every single person as a disciple of Jesus is able to make other disciples. Uh, the reverse is also true. You can be 15 or you can be 70 and you can be an infant. You can be immature in your faith. And none of those are a bad thing because uh, the, the, the point is to grow into more Christ-likeness. And so we celebrate everybody at every single stage, but we must recognize that we are calling adolescents and parents in the faith to levels of leadership and responsibility because those are the ones that are tasked with reproducing their faith in other people. It's a multiplying effect. And so if you're a young person and you're like, I'm a, I feel like I'm a spiritually mature person, I'm a parent, I would say, then God is calling you to actually reproduce your faith, not just attend, to participate. And if you're an older person, you're like, I'm a spiritually mature person, then God's calling you to reproduce your faith. But if you're of the mindset that, you know, this is my church, my ministry here, this is my thing, and I don't want the older generation coming in on me, or you're, I don't want the younger generation coming in on me, then I would just say that you're not yet a spiritually mature person because you've missed the whole point. We want to be a church that's about legacy, that's about building something that is going to last for generations after us. And I don't want to rain on the young people parade, but it's not even, not even about you. We want to build into you because we want you to build into the next generation. I want to see generations after I die being impacted because of what we're doing today. You know, when I used to go on the Mexico trip, you know, we'd go around site to site, and I'd, you know, I'd visit the sites, and, you know, there were some sites that we'd go to, particularly with, with guys that were learning to lead a build team for the first time, and i walk in on the site, and there'd be just, you know, they're just sweating, the, you know, the sweat's dripping off their forehead, and they're just swinging that hammer, they're sawing that wood, and there's about 15, 17 high school students that are sitting on the grass just walking, watching them work. You know, we have a conversation with these build leaders, and, and, and we'd say, you know, you got you to let the kids do some work. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah but we're behind, and they don't, they don't know what they're doing, and I think it's just, it's, it, it, the house is going to be better if I do it myself. And, uh, and you know, we talk to students, like, don't be lazy, like, help out. You know, I tried to help out, but I, I didn't get the opportunity to help out. I, I was just told to, you know, take an early lunch break, and, and they would give me some work after lunch. 
And I think it's just a beautiful picture of sometimes what happens in all ministry areas is that some of us who have been tasked with leading, we, we forget the point that we're not just building a house, but the house itself is a vehicle to empower the next generation. We're not just doing ministry, but the ministry itself is a vehicle to empower the next generation of leaders. So whatever your gift set, whatever your ministry area, whatever place you're involved with, if, if you look around and you're working really, really hard and there's nobody else with you, there's nobody shadowing you, that it's not really about discipleship, it's become about the task, then we miss the point. Yeah, we go down to Mexico to build houses for the people in those families, absolutely. But the, reason we, the other reason we do Mexico trip year after year after year after year is because we believe in what it does to, for our young people. And I'll tell you, we, I believe in what it does to our old people as they, they get in these smelly vans and they spend 10 days with these kids and they realize that these kids aren't just chumps, but they are, they're not just like B-level kids, that they have a destiny, that they have an ability, that they, they have a calling on their lives. And, and, and what's, what's fascinating is when you get the generations together, it, you end up feeding each other. There's a whole group of experienced generation people here that need to know that their lives, the things that they've been taught, the things that they've been given, are being passed on to somebody else. Something comes alive in us as older people when we, feel, when we realize that we're impacting, we're creating a legacy. Something comes alive in our young people when they realize that there's a responsibility that's being given to them. When Jesus said, come follow me, you can do what I do. I don't think they could at that moment. But over the next couple of years as they followed Jesus around and Jesus gave them responsibility, I think Jesus could have said, man, I could have done that better. You know, if I would have prayed for them, they would have been healed the first time. I wouldn't have, you know, I, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, messed that up or uh, said the wrong thing. I, you know, I, I'm perfect. I do everything perfectly. So, so if, if, we, if Jesus himself is willing in his perfection to offload ministry to a group of youth and young adults, then we should be willing to do it as well. Hebrews 11:39 says this, All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And the chap chapter 11 in Hebrews, I love it. It just goes from generation to generation to generation to generation, and it, and it paints this beautiful picture of what God has done through history. And then it kind of culminates with this idea at the end of chapter 11 where it says, Only together with us that we are a part of a historical movement that God has given us a small window of time to play a role in. He's given us a responsibility. And if we fall into the lie of thinking that we're building something for us, we've missed the scope of what God is doing. Whether you're young or you're old, God's calling you into something that started long before you and it's going to last long after you. And so if, when you go through Scripture, you see mentoring relationship after mentoring relationship, Elijah and Elisha, 
Moses and Joshua, Jesus and his disciples, Paul and Timothy. You know, remember, Timothy is the one that Paul said to, don't let anyone look, think less of you because you're young, but set an example to all believers in what you say and the way you live, your love, your faith, and your purity. All of these leaders knew that God was calling them to something that was beyond themselves, that God was calling them to create a legacy, to equip and release the next generation. It's even in our vision statement. We're a multi-campus church family committed to equipping and releasing individuals to fulfill God's mission in the communities where he places us. Equipping and releasing individuals. We changed that whole vision statement because we believe that the vision that God has for Sun West is actually in the hearts of the people in the church. And that Sun West is a place that people can come to to discover their God-given calling and to find a church that's going to call out and support them and bless them in what they're doing. We're going to talk more, more about that next week. But listen to the language that, Paul him, or that Peter himself uses to describe the generations in the church. It says, And now a word to you who are elders in the church, churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God calls us to lead, not for what we will get out of it, which I was defining this morning as luxury, not for the comfort it's going to bring us, but for the next generation, for what God is doing in history. And this passage is significant to me because there was a time in my life uh, when I was younger, uh, when I was working with young people, that uh, I felt the temptation to leave my ministry post here. And I've talked about this in other sermons. Uh, and I was debating on whether that I quit at SunWest and uh, you know, go to this other church that had an opening for a youth pastor. And I went to sleep one night and I had a vivid dream. And in this dream, there was a, there was a lion. And, I, and, and I, left, I left a group of young people and I was walking away on my own journey and this lion came uh, to attack me. And as I left the group of young people, it went from sunny out to cloudy and dark. And then I was in this dark fighting this lion. And I, and I woke up in this cold sweat. And I knew right away that the lion that was in that dream was the lion from 1 Peter 5. And I actually don't have it on the screen. But let me, let me read the rest of this passage for you. First Peter 5, so it finishes, God, God opposed the proud face of the humble, so humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. And so, 
I pondered this passage over and over again, and, it, and, and this passage is given in the context of intergenerational relationships in the community of faith. This honoring of one another. Honor those who are older, honor those who are younger. And each of you be humble. And, and as I dug into this, I realized that the roar of a lion is in the context of the strength of a community. So let, let me explain this. When a lion roars, when the, you know, when the, uh, the male head of the tribe roars, the rest of the lion community roars with it. And so the, the volume and the strength of the roar indicates the strength of that tribe, the strength of that community. But what happens is when an enemy lion comes in, one that's not from that tribe, and he hears a roar, and it's not as loud as it used to be, it's weaker, maybe there's only a few lion voices, uh, that enemy lion will come in, he will kill the head of that tribe, and all of the young and start a new tribe. And I realized in that dream and as I pondered this passage that the intergenerational unity of the church is critical for the legacy of the church. And that our enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for a disunited church a church that does not have a unity between its generations and feels like it can get in there, can divide and conquer and stop what God wants to do for generation to generation to generation. And so church, I'm calling us to this generational roar that when the enemy, Satan, the devil, comes and he he looks for a place to steal, kill, and destroy, he's not going to find a place here. Because from preschool to elders, we are a church that honors one another. Call it the best in one another, and we have a united roar together. See, the church I see has babies with no hair, elders with no hair, and everyone in between. (laughs) The church I see is full of Followers of Jesus that realize they are building something that will outlast them. Because of this, they choose a path of legacy, which is always marked by sacrifice. The church I see has young people who honor those who came before them, soaking up every bit of wisdom they can so that they can pass it on. The church I see has young people who let go of personal preferences because their greater preference is to be challenged, refined, and mentored by the saints that made this pilgrimage before them. I see a church where the older generation lets go of efficiency and traditions and chooses to give away whatever the Lord has given them for the sake of God's kingdom. I see a church that that, that takes the long view. It sacrifices for something that will outlive them, for a generation they haven't met yet. The church I see recognizes that their unity sets the stage for their legacy. And because of this, they will set aside personal preferences for generational impact. I see a church full of future leaders, pastors, missionaries, teachers, carpenters, doctors, nurses, engineers, parents, 
and everyone else that I didn't mention your vocation. And they'll be equipped and released to bring the kingdom of God to every place their feet walk. The church I see is a refuge for high school students that need a surrogate mom or dad. I see a church that provides hope for junior high students who are being bullied and need someone to pull out the gold in them. When students need to know who they are, created in the image of God, made for the family of God, and called for the eternal purposes of God, we will be the church that tells them. And we will give the place, the space, and the opportunity to discover their God-given destiny. The church I see provides a refuge for parents. When parents are working two jobs, when life is full, when bills aren't getting paid, and they're just flat out busy, and they need people that will love their kids to provide a home away from home, that's going to be our church. It's a church that when it has to choose between legacy and luxury, it's going to choose legacy every single time. This is the church I see. You know, Dalen and Jamie used to not be able to sing like that. Now just No offense, guys. When he first started singing at youth, it was, it was a little pitchy. Um, but they had a heart for Jesus and a heart for worship, and we, we knew that there was, uh, that God was calling out something in them. And uh, to see them just be teachable and humble and to be mentored and then to be leading us in worship years later, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And that's what legacy is about. And what, what, you, what you don't also know is that they've been even involved in leading worship and mentoring our young people as well. Um, and eventually they're going to be replaced uh, by a generation younger than them. Uh, and that's the win. Succession is greater than self-success. Legacy is greater than luxury. And I pray that you can see that church that God is calling us to be. Because um, I can see it. And I think it's part of who God has made us to be and what he's calling us to. Uh, I also see a church that is going to be eating a lot of chili. And I just want to pray for the chili. And I thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, blessings to you that are going to Mexico, that are going to build houses together. We pray that you would encounter Jesus in a brand new way as you're gone for these 10 days. Uh, and we pray that you bring back what God deposits in you as you're away. Father, we thank you again for these adults and these young people that are choosing to give up 10 days just to love on people and to love on each other really well, to build houses for people they haven't even met yet, Lord, but you destined them to meet even before they were born. And Lord, we just pray that you would fill them with your joy, with your spirit, with your kingdom of God vision as they go and live sacrificially. Lord, I know that as they give sacrificially, they're going to feel like, man, I was made for this. And Lord, we pray that that same sacrificial spirit would just mark who we are as a faith community. And that generations that aren't even born yet, Lord, uh, would be impacted and blessed by the sacrificial generosity that we live today with. And Jesus, we thank you. You call us not to something that you already haven't done yourself. And we want to follow your example. We pray this in Jesus' name. And thank you for the chili. Bless the chili to our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, enjoy the chili. Have a great week.